take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Job this morning. Right almost in the middle of your Bible, we're going to be towards the end of the book this morning, Job 38. I'm very thankful to be back preaching to you on a Sunday morning. It's hard to believe it's been since the first Sunday in August since I had the opportunity to do that. But I'm thankful that during these last three weeks, I don't feel like we've taken any steps backward. We've continued to step forward for the Lord because God's Word has been open. His truth has been proclaimed. His people have gathered to worship Him together. And God, through the work of Jesus Christ, continues to build His church right here. Amen? I'm thankful for what He's doing, and I'm thankful that He has you a part of it. Thankful for those who are joining us online as well this morning. I know we have people joined from all over the place, even all over the country. My in-laws are traveling cross-country today, and so they're joining us from the road this morning. So, hi, Mom and Dad. We're glad to have you. Shandy's folks are joining with us this morning. But I don't know about you, as I've really considered over the last few weeks and last few months, my heart is very full. As I look at the news, as I look at what's going on around us, even right here in our own communities, Of course, we know about the storm that passed through this last week, and I'll talk more about this at the end of the service, but there's a group of us going to try to help some people tomorrow, and then we're putting together a larger team to go back in a few weeks after we've kind of got our arms around what the damage is and how we can be better helpful over there. Um, A lot of people hurting. Over the last few months, you've seen on the news, there's been lots of loss of life. We would say even senseless loss of life. People are angry. People are afraid. People are frustrated. So little love for others. So much sin. Racism and hate causes people to react in anger and violence. And there's wrong on both sides. But it doesn't give either side the right to stand up and and, uh, say that they have no problem. Right? Because sin is a problem we all deal with. This was brought very real to me even this past week. Tuesday morning when I came into the church, and some of you were here, we were having our disciple-making conference. We had a uh, a law enforcement officer outside looking for some things. We found out, very sadly, uh, a man lost his life right next door here on Monday night. We, we've been working with the police this week. It was on our cameras and security cameras. We've been helping them, trying to find the person that did it. If you drove in this morning, you might have seen the little cross in the corner of the ditch out there in the property that some of the neighbors put up. Even through that, though, the Lord opened doors to talk to people about Him. Folks, we live in a world that's broken. And it's broken not because God created it broken. He created it good. It's broken because of sin. I think one of the struggles that I face, and maybe you find this as well, is as you look at all the struggle, you want to point your finger at all those problems out there Now, if we could just fix those people or just fix that situation or fix that problem, then somehow we could get get a handle on this thing. Somehow things would go better. In marriage relationships, it's often, well, if my spouse would just get right. 
at work if my boss would just get a clue. In church, boy, if the pastor just knew what he was doing. You know, you know. If we just had a better president, if we just had better leaders, if our people knew what they were doing, it fixed the problem. But the problem with that kind of thinking is it takes the responsibility off of me and off of you and it puts it on somebody else. I'm getting a tick in the microphone up here. I can grab another one. Hand me that yellow one, buddy. You didn't expect to see an acrobat performance this morning. Over the last few weeks, as I've spent time praying and studying and reading God's Word and just considering what we're living in and what we're going through right now, the Lord has challenged me with this question. And I want to ask you this question this morning as well. If everything you had in this world that you enjoyed or appreciated was taken away and all you had left was your relationship with God, would that be enough? Some people this week lost their home. Some people lost their businesses. Some people lost their jobs. If all you had left was your relationship with God, would it be enough? Do you find your joy and hope in the things of this world or in the God who made this world and sent His Son to die for you? Here in the book of Job, we have the story of a man who lost everything. And I'm not going to preach the whole book of Job to you this morning. That's okay. You can go ahead and breathe that sigh of relief right now. But after he lost everything, and he lost everything not because he was a bad guy, right? In fact, God says of him, here's a righteous man who fears God and he eschews evil. He puts evil away. Job is a righteous man. And yet God allows everything to be taken away from him. He loses his family, he loses his riches, he loses all of his cattle, his, everything that he had. He even lost his health. His own wife came to him and said, Job, you should curse God and die. Job himself even said he wished he had never been born. And he had some great spiritual friends who came around to encourage him and tell him that he'd really messed up and done terrible things. And if he would just get right and then he wouldn't face these problems. I would say of any person that I can think of in Scripture, Job is an example of a man who had everything, who was living right, who was doing things well, and then God took it all away. And it's interesting because as you study through the book of Job, we see this man who, he's struggling. He's clearly human. He's arguing with his friends. He's maintaining his innocence throughout the book. But as we get towards the end of the book of Job, and we'll look starting in chapter 38 here in just a minute, God comes to Job and He begins to speak directly to Job. Job wanted to hear from God. In fact, in Job 31, in verse 35, Job said this, Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me. 
And I love what he said. And that mine adversary had written a book. See, when Job spoke these words, he didn't have the advantage of God's word. In fact, from our understanding, the book of Job was the first book of the Bible actually written down. Now, we understand the events in Genesis took place and the creation, all that before Job, but Job was the first book, as far as we know, that was written down. So as Job is making that statement, he's longing for, he's wishing that God had written some things down for him. But if you notice, even in that verse, he calls God his adversary. You ever feel like God's against you? Job did. I'm thankful this morning that we do have a book. Not just a book, it is the book. It's the book of books. It's God's holy word, the Bible, that God has given to us. Not just words of men that were written down, but the Bible says holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. People wrote down what God told them to write, and we have God's words for us. But just because we have God's Word in our hand doesn't mean that we're actually living God's Word and obeying God's Word and knowing God's Word. So, this morning you may be here and you may have some questions. Maybe you're concerned, frustrated, upset by what you see going on in your world. I know I am. Do you find that? I, I just feel like right now it's just a constant, I, I, I'm upset, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. Okay, all right, God, i got to read your word and think about what you're saying. But then I see what's going on. I see another video clip. I see something else happening. I'm just frustrated. Maybe you're struggling with what you see going on around you, and you wonder, if God was really in charge, then why would he allow all this stuff to take place? This morning, I want to invite you to be still and to hear from God this morning. Not from me, but from His Word. And we're going to listen in on this conversation between God and Job. And hear what God had to say to Job. And that message is very instructional, very helpful for us this morning. I want you to be able to go from here convinced that God is your God and that you can rest in Him. You can find hope and peace with him this morning. So here's Job. He's lost everything. His friends are gathered around telling him of what he's done wrong, and Job has maintained his innocence. Here in chapter 38, verse 1, God finally comes and speaks to Job. I don't know how much time took place through the book of Job, but there was clearly a, a, a little period of time here. Sometimes that's how it is with God. We feel like God isn't speaking to us. God isn't responding. We're struggling with what we're going through. And God, where are you? God's always there. But God speaks when He's ready to speak because He's God. And God speaks to Job here in verse 1 of chapter 38. He said, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. Job, who are you to obscure the truth because you're speaking without really knowing what's going on? My friend, this morning, 
It's one of the biggest problems we see around us, isn't it? People speaking, and they don't know what they're talking about. Because what they're speaking is not truth, because it's not found in the Word of God. Your opinion may seem good. It might make sense. You might be able to have a good argument. Well, you can argue with anybody else on social media. You can make your point. You can push it across. But if you're not speaking God's truth, all you're doing is obscuring the truth. Christian, can I plead with you this morning? Don't turn people away from the light and the love of God because of your own foolish desire to try to push your opinion on somebody else. You're not helping anybody. So he asked Job, who is this? Who are you? that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. And then he says in verse 3, Gird up now thy loins like a man. All right, Job, get ready. I'm about to ask you a question, and I want you to give me an answer. Now, we don't gird up our loins quite that way. We might hitch up our pants. We get ready to go. But he says, Job, I want you to be prepared. Notice his question in verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Job, where were you when I made the world? Job, where were you when I created the earth? And if you keep reading, there's so many questions here. We're not going to take time to look at each one in detail, but I've tried to group them together because you see the groupings here of these questions. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Verse 5, who has laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest, who hath stretched the line upon it? See, God laid the foundation. God planned it out. God measured it out. God had it all put together. And he says, Job, where were you when I did that? Of course, it's a rhetorical question. Job wasn't there. Just like you weren't there and I wasn't there. Job, were you there when I put it all together, when I accomplished my plan of creation creation in this world? I love verse 6, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, right? Were you there when I laid the foundations? So what are the foundations attached to? What is this world hanging on? Is it on the back of Atlas? Is it hanging from, from the, you know, like the song says, I've got the world on a string? No. God holds it up. Well, you can give the scientific answer, and and you'd be right, talking about how gravity works together and centrifugal force and, and the pull of the sun and the rotation through the solar system and all those things. Okay, that's good, and it's true. But how did that come to be? It's because God put it there, and He holds it in place. God says to Job, Job, where were you when I created the earth? He doesn't stop there with his questioning, though, because he goes on. You can see in verses 12 through 15, he asks him another question. Job, can you control the sequence of day and night? Look at verse 12. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days? Job, did you get up this morning and say, let there be light? There's only one person that could say that, and that was God. And it actually come to place. Now, I'm not talking about your little clapping fan light in your room at home that you clap and the light turns on. I'm talking about making light out of nothing. God says the sun comes up and it comes down. Genesis 1, he says, God said, let there be light. There was light in the evening and the morning was the first day. God created light. 
God made the sun, moon, and stars. He put it all together. Job, can you control the day and the night? He even talks here in verses 13 to 15 how the night is a place where the evil lurk and do their wickedness and how God, when he brings light, the evil often go away to hide. God uses his creation to accomplish his purpose even in this world. We see that in verses 16 through 18, another group of questions that God asked Job. He asks him if he's explored all the depths of the world. Look at verse 16, hast thou entered into the springs of the sea, like the, the place where the, the bottom of the deep, where the ocean springs up. Have you been there, Job? Say, well, I read this science book. I saw this movie on TV, and the guy went down in the, in the capsule, and he went down, took pictures, and, and they've seen some of that stuff. Well, Job had never been there. And they still can't explain how all of that works. Only God. He talks about going to the depths of the ocean, the, the gates even of death. Verse 18, hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? People today can't decide if the earth is flat or round. Job, do you understand the breadth of the earth? The answer, no. I like how he finishes verse 18. Declare if thou knowest it all. Job, tell me. If you really know, then answer. Job sits in silence. Then in verses 19 through 21, he asks him these questions about light and darkness. Do you know where light and darkness live? Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? I like what he says in verse 21. Knowest thou it because thou wast then born or because the number of thy days is great? Do you know about light and dark because you're just so old and you've been there so long or you were alive when it happened? Now, this is God speaking to Job, but I wouldn't speak about somebody's age, but God is speaking to Job because he's the, God is the older one here, right? As a young person, you don't speak up and say, well, you're so old. No, that's not what God's doing. God is the ancient of days. He is the one who's been from everlasting. And so when he speaks to Job, he's pointing out, Job, you're just a child. You've not seen these things. You don't know this stuff. You see, God is worthy because he's God, because he's in charge of all things, because he made everything, because he's in control of everything. And he's pointing this out to Job, and Job doesn't have an answer. In fact, Job's friend even told Job this back in chapter 36, verse 26, when he said, Behold, God is great, and we know Him not. Neither can the number of His years be searched out. But God doesn't stop there. Then He begins to talk to him about the weather. Verses 22 to 30. Job, hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail? How about verse 25? Who hath divided a water course for the overflowing of waters, for a way for the lightning of thunder to cause it to rain on the earth? How does that happen? 
Well, let me tell you about the water cycle, evaporation, and as the water is drawn up into the clouds, and then it condenses, and it comes down in rain, and then the rain falls into rivers and lakes and streams, runs through the groundwater, and then it gets pulled back to the ocean, evaporation, and it happens again, and we see this water cycle taking place. Wonderful. Who created that? God did. Job, do you have any control over the weather? Even the weathermen don't have control over the weather. You can be wrong more than half the time and still keep your job. It's a good job. Some of you might need to think about a career change. I don't know. You might, you might do better as weathermen. He doesn't stop with the weather, though. He then speaks about the stars. You know, beautiful verses here in verse 31 to 33. Job, canst thou bind the sweet influences of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? These beautiful constellations, what, what holds them together? I've been looking at Orion's belt since I was a kid, and some of you since you were kids, and you were kids even before I was kids, some of you. But even Job was looking up and seeing Orion. Why are those stars still traveling along, that, that, those three together? And, of course, we know the constellation's bigger than that. How does that all stay together like that? Job, did you put the bands around it? Did you tie those stars together to make them do that? He speaks about in verse 32, Maseroth, this is another constellation in his season, or canst thou guide Arcturus? This is uh, Ursa Major, the big bear, some of it, sometimes it's called. Who did that? God did that. Verses 34 to 38, he, he says, Job, can you make it rain? Verses 39 to 41, he speaks about how God provides food for his animals. Job, did you go out this morning and kill the food for the lion to eat? How about, did you gather up the food and feed all the ravens? How did those birds get their food? Because God provided it. Jesus even said, right, if, if even one sparrow were to fall out of a bush, that God would know it. He knows the number of hairs on your head. You've all heard the joke for some of us. That means he's having to do subtraction, right? Not addition. But God knows. God sees. God provides. Throughout all these questions that God asked Job, we learn some wonderful things about how our God uses and works through his creation. I want to give you some of these. We see back in verse 7 of chapter 38 that we see that God enjoys His creation. When God made it, it says that here in verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, they praised God. His creation gives praise to Him and God enjoys His creation. God enjoys His creation and we also see that God uses His creation to limit the wicked. We see that in verse 15. I already mentioned it. It says, From the wicked their light is withholden, and the high arm shall be broken. How does he do this? By bringing daylight. He uses creation to even put boundaries around the wicked. He uses his creation to help people. Look at verse 23. He's speaking here about the weather, about snow and hail. 
And he says in verse 23, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. If any of you are history people, history buffs, you like to read and study history, you can read about wars and battles that have been decided because of the weather. Armies that couldn't make it through a pass in the mountains because of an early snow and so their attack was thwarted. Armies that because of rain couldn't move their equipment and so the battle wasn't completed. So that was just an accident. No, that's God. The generals of this world would love to be able to command the rain and the snow and the wind. But there's only one general, there's only one king, the king of kings and lord of lords who controls all things. He uses his creation to limit the wicked. He uses it to help people. He uses it even to water the earth. Look at verse 26, to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is. Isn't it amazing? God keeps places green where there isn't even somebody there to till the ground or to farm it. God just waters it because it's His and He wants to take care of it. It's a beautiful thing. God loves His creation. He cares for His creation. We even see God controls and limits His creation. We saw that back in the beginning of the chapter as He measured it out and He had points where it came together, has beginning points and ending points. God provides for the animals in His creation. God, even when you get over into chapter 39, God helps His animals and frees His animals, causes them to run free. A beautiful thing. God even gives strength to the animals in His creation. I love verse 13 of chapter 39. He says, Gavest thou the goodly wings unto the peacocks, or wings and feathers unto the ostrich? You ever wonder that? Why did God give wings and feathers to the ostrich? I've never seen an ostrich fly. They can't. But God in His power and His creativity, in His love for His creation, said, I think that bird should have wings and really long legs so it can run fast. Everything God does has a purpose, has a reason. We see this God, the God of Job, the Almighty God, this Jehovah God. He's a God who has all power. He's a God who has a perfect plan. And we see a God who always fulfills His purpose in this world. You say, give me a lot of information here. There's a lot coming. There is a lot here. But hang on with me, please, because I want you to see, as Job is confronted with who God is, I want you to see Job's response to the character and the person and the work of God. Because if we are going to make a difference in this world where God has put us, we need to have a right relationship with God, just like Job had to have a right relationship with God. And if we spend our time, as Job did earlier on, trying to maintain his innocence and blame other people for his problems, we're going to continue to struggle just like Job struggled. And God came and he spoke to Job because God loved Job and he wanted to help Job. And God speaks to us this morning through his word as well. Because God loves us and he loves you and he wants to help you as well. God is not just your adversary. That's how Job saw him. God why, God, why are you contending with me? 
Back in chapter 38, God asked Job to answer these questions. He told him to gird up the loins of his mind. He does it again in chapter 40 after he's asked him all those questions about who he is. And and Job doesn't have an answer. He says, all right, gird up the loins of your mind again. Two different times, Job had felt like God was contending with him. In chapter 10 of Job, verse 2, it says, I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Show me there wherefore thou contendest with me. God, who are you to condemn me? That's what Job said. He's God. But sometimes that's our attitude, isn't it? God, I'm not that bad of a person. <laughs> I'm a lot better than that guy over there. Job, again, in chapter 23, verse 6, will he plead, speaking about God, will God, will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. God, why are you coming against me with your power? Hmm. But now God takes the same question as Job says, God, why are you contending with me? God turns it on his head and he asks Job and says, Job, no, you're the one contending with me. Have you ever thought about that? If you are the one with the position and the one who has the responsibility to lead and to do something, then those that come against that position are the ones contending with you. For example, this is our country. right? If we are living within the boundaries of our nation, and another country attacks us, they're contending with us, right? We're not contending with them. They've come and tried to take something that was ours. Job, when he says, God, you're contending with me, it's as if Job is saying to God, God, this is mine. Why are you coming to take something away from me that is mine? And God turns it right around. He says, Job, no, no, no. I'm not contending with you. You're contending with me. See, our problem is we think something is ours, that we have this right, that we ought to be able to do something, that we ought to be able to fix our own problem, that the problem is out there, not in here. See, God's not contending with you. You're contending with Him. You're trying to take what is rightfully His. And if you feel like He's contending with Him, it's just because He's taking back what already belonged to Him in the first place. Job chapter 40, verses 1 to 2. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Job, you're going to attack me, and then you're going to try to instruct me? You're going to try to teach me something? Maybe. All right, somebody else, you can join with me. Have you ever tried to tell God something like that? Like, God, really, if you would do this, My way, things would work a lot better. Have you ever felt that way? God, why are you doing this in my life? Why are you allowing it? God, I can see what should happen here, and what you're doing does not make sense. God says, Job, are you going to contend with me and then try to instruct me? Oh, my friend, don't try to instruct God. Don't try to teach God things. Listen and learn from God. But this was Job. He's a human being. He's struggling. 
And I think it would help some of you and it would help me to be honest about our own struggles and our own weaknesses and our own pride. The desire to say, oh God, what are you doing? God, you shouldn't be doing this. Notice Job's response to the Lord in verse 3 and 4 of Job 40. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. God, I, I'm nothing. I, I'm worthless. I'm low. He says, What shall I answer thee? I, I don't have anything to say. I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. And for you this morning, that may be where you need to start, right? Before you try to speak out against God's... Just be still and listen. But I want to challenge you with this, and don't stop here, because sometimes if we just stop the message here this morning, we'd say, well, God just wants me to be quiet. Not do anything, just put my head down. I just have to live this low, oppressed life. But that's not where God stops with Job, and that's very important for you to remember this morning. And stay with me to the end, because this was Job's initial response to God's power and his glory and his ability. While God is our king, and while God deserves our humility, that's not all that God wants. When confronted by the greatness and awesome power of God, Job responded with silence. His answer was that he had no answer. This was quite a change from Job's demeanor back in Job 31 and verse 37 when Job, speaking with his friends about God, said, I will declare unto him, declare unto God, the number of my steps as a prince would I go near unto him. Job had this attitude. If God was going to come talk to me, I'd tell him all the steps I'm going to take. I've got my plan laid out. He said, I would go to him as a prince. How does a prince walk in? He walks in with his head held high, with confidence. He feels as if he's an equal or if he has a right to speak. Now Job's response is very different. Now he says, I'm vile and his hand's over his mouth. There's a change of attitude here. And it's a change of attitude that we should take note of as well. Rather try to march in and tell God what he should be doing. Tell God where he's messed up. Tell God all those things. Instead, realize God's in charge and humble ourselves. But see, while Job was humbled before God, other than him now closing his mouth, we don't really see a change in Job here in chapter 40. He wasn't repentant. God wants more than your humility and submission. He wants your repentance and your service. Some people think, well, if you're a good Christian, just keep their mouth shut, don't say anything, just kind of hunker down, duck low. Hopefully all this bad stuff going around will just avoid me and I'll somehow make it through. That's, that's, that's not what God is saying here to Job. Because God doesn't stop here. In fact, in the next few verses in chapter 40, when he says again in verse 7, Gird up thy loins now like a man I will demand of thee. Look at verse 8. 
Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Job, are you going to try to say, well, I don't have an answer? And just use that to say, well, God's judgment, it's just going to pass over top me. I'll just duck down. I'm okay. And I'll just stay here resting in my own righteousness. It's kind of what Job is trying to do at this point. God, just, you know, okay, God, I admit you're in charge. Okay. I'll stay low down here. Take this trouble somewhere else. While there's a submission in Job, there's not a real heart change in Job. Not yet. He continues on. Again, we don't have time to read through all these questions. It's just question after question that God is asking him. I want you to notice, though, in particular, the question he asks In the next verse, verse number 9, he says, Hast thou an arm like God? Job, are you as powerful as God? Canst thou thunder with a voice like Him? You know, last night, as my boys and I, we were practicing our song for this morning. They said, Dad, your voice is lower than ours. And they were kind of growling, trying to get that lower voice. Well, I've been trying to do that my whole life. I've still got a high voice. I always wanted my voice to change to be like my dad's and have a nice low voice, and it just never happened. Now, I think every boy probably can't wait for the day when his voice goes from, you know, when he answers the phone and, and they don't think it's his mother on the phone or it's his sister on the phone. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you boys are going through that right now. I understand. Even though I do have a higher voice, they don't call me Mrs. Cobra on the phone. That's a good thing thankful for that they don't ask me if my husband is around you know any of those things it's good but as a as a boy growing up you kind of want that manly voice right just kind of think how most boys are and and God's asking Job Job do you have a voice like thunder because I do God does he goes on here with these questions and And he says, if you're like God, then look at verse 10. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. Job, if you're really so great, why don't you go out and show how powerful you are? Array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath, and behold, everyone that is proud and abase him. Take the proud ones and put them low, Job. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Boy, as I read these verses, I see where I think a lot of us as Christians are struggling with right now. Because we see people doing things that are wrong around us, and we say, boy, if I was in charge, I'd, I'd put them in their place. I'd bring them low. I'd straighten them out. I'd fix their problem. And in behaving like that, it's as if we're saying, well, if God really knew what He was doing, He would take care of all those sinners and all those wicked people and put them where they need to be. I'm so thankful that he's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should repent, should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't ever forget, and such were some of you. But by the grace of God. That's where I would be. That's where you would be. And when God withholds his wrath and his judgment, just as he's speaking to Job here, 
saying, Job, if you're really in charge, go out and put all those people down. Job couldn't do it. Why? Because he's not God. My friend, I struggle when I look at what's going on around us. And I'm concerned what's going to happen for my children when they grow up. I know you're thinking those same things. God, what are you doing? See, it's easy to look at Job and see his struggle and say, Job, come on. God's speaking directly to you, Job. Don't you realize? God's speaking to you this morning, too. Look at verse 14. He says, Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. Job, if you could do all these things, I'll tell you that you're able to save yourself. There's not a single one of us that can save ourselves. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You may have been saved here for most of your life. Don't ever forget what God saved you from. And always remember what He saved you to. Oh, there's so much more we could look at, but I want to draw this to a close because I want you to see Job's second response. Job 42. Chapter 41, God goes through Leviathan and these other animals and showing their power and their strength and God's ability to control all those things. It's an amazing study. It's, It's worth your time. But I want you to see Job's final response to God as God brings all this back to him again. Look at chapter 42, verse 1. Job finally responds. Before he'd had his hand over his mouth, he didn't have anything to say. Now he takes his hand away and he speaks. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Remember back in 38, chapter 38, God says, Who is he that darkeneth counsel because he speaks words without knowledge? Now Job is responding to that. God, that's me. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? He says, I have done it. Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Job is acknowledging, God, I'm the one you're talking about. The problem is with me. I have sin. I have done wrong. Not just, well, God, you're in charge. Okay, God, I'll just stay down here in my own righteousness. No, now Job is admitting, God, I've done wrong. I've obscured your truth because I've tried to maintain my innocence and speak out for myself and stick up for my own rights. He said, God, I spoke things that I didn't even know about because I wasn't really speaking your word. Look at verse 4. Hear. I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. 
so thankful that when we speak, God listens. God heard Job, just like God will hear your cry if you'll cry out to him. What does he say? Verse 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. God, I've heard a lot about you. But now, what does he say? Mine eye seeth thee. My friend, I think more than anything else, while there's some knowledge of God and some hearing of God throughout our nation and in our homes, there's often a real lack of actually seeing God. Do you understand the difference here? Hearing is just hearing about, sort of having some general knowledge of. He says, I don't, I don't want to just hear about you. I don't want to just kind of have a general concept of God. And so many people, I mean, you go up to people on the street and ask them about God. I had a conversation, two long conversations with a man this week, sharing the gospel with him both times. Well, I, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I was baptized. Well, I, uh, I, I have some tithes I could give to the church. Listen, I'm not going to turn your tithes away. <laughs> Some of you go, whoa. <laughs> but that's not going to get you to Jesus. But so many people believe that. I've even had people tell me, well, you've helped us, so we're going to get over to the church and give a tithe. Please don't. Because you're going to give yourself false hope. You say, well, I'll just, I'll come get baptized. I would love to baptize you, but only if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Baptism doesn't save you. Even coming here this morning doesn't save you. Being here tonight won't make you a better Christian if it's just about being here. This is not a, a magical place that somehow you walk in, you get superpowers, and you go out. No, if you come in a sinner, you'll leave a sinner. But you can come in a sinner and submit to God and turn from your sin and go out, change to be more like Him. doesn't mean you won't struggle because you still have a flesh, just like Job did. But God will help you as you grow, as you have somebody else coming alongside of you, as you're in His Word, as you have His Spirit working in you, as you learn what the truth says and you begin to live it out. It takes time, it takes practice, it takes effort, but most of all, it takes the help of God because it's not something we can do in our own strength. But notice Job's response as he said, I don't want to just hear God, I, I now see you with my eyes. Look at verse 6, because this is the response. This is it. If you miss the whole rest of the service, don't miss this. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent. There it is. Repentance is a, is a change. It's a turning from one thing and turning to something else. It's, I've been going the wrong way, God, and I'm admitting it now. I'm not just going to crouch down where I'm at and stay in my own righteousness. No, God, I'm going to turn and change and be the person that you want me to be because I'm now submitting to your plan and your will. I'm no longer going to step up and say, well, God, you shouldn't do this, or God, I know this, or God, I'm innocent. God, why are you doing this? And now Job says, God, I repent. I turn from my own way, and I'm going to follow you. There's a song we often sing. 
where he leads me, I will follow. I was wearing a shirt the other day, walk around the neighborhood. It's got our little church logo on it. We give it away to folks when we have a baptism. It says, I have decided. Some of you need to be baptized. I'd love to baptize you. But as we were walking around, we met some neighbors outside, and he looked at my shirt, and he said, what have you decided? I said, to follow Jesus. He said, really? And we had a good conversation. We've been talking over the last several weeks now. This is another family potential couple and they have a little boy and love to see them come to the Lord and come be a part of our church and God uses all those kinds of things as you're out and about but that song says I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back though none go with me still I will follow the world behind me the cross before me no turning back, no turning back. Can I encourage you this morning as God has continued to encourage me? And I'll tell you, I haven't got this all figured out. I may go home today and still feel frustrated and discouraged and have to go back to God again. Say, God, I need your help. You may be here this morning and frustrated, upset, concerned, discouraged with what you see going on around you. But instead of just maintaining your own innocence and trying to push back against everything out there, I would ask you, first of all, to humble yourself before God and ask God, like King David did in Psalm 139, God, search me and know me. God, try my thoughts. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. Listen, it's easy to confess other people's sin. I could spend all day confessing your sins. Wouldn't bother me at all. It's a lot harder to confess your own sin, right? Some of you are great at confessing the sin of your spouse, the sin of your children, the sin of your parents, the sin of your coworkers. We can confess the sins of, of the neighbors. Or if they just come to church. Stop throwing all their leaves in my yard. We can confess the sins of the professional athletes, and the celebrities, and the politicians. But I believe real change starts when we confess our own sin and repent and turn to God. My friend, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, repent. Trust in the Lord. But I would just, just from knowing most of you, know that most of you would claim to be a, a believer, a child of God. Don't get caught up in your self-righteousness and look at everybody else and say, well, I mean, I was in church. Where were they? Walk with God. Trust in Him. Repent from your sins. And live in obedience. Job's life was changed when he lost everything. But God didn't do that just to oppress Job. Eh, push him down, put him under the thumb. No, God did it because he wanted to bring Job closer to himself. You see, if you lost everything in this world, 
everything that you appreciated and enjoyed, would having God be enough? That's where God had to bring Job. Now, if you read the end of the book, you know that God gave him great abundance, even more than he had in the first place. It's not that God doesn't bless people. But the purpose of serving God is not for the blessing. The purpose of serving God is to be with God. Is to have a relationship with Him. This was Job had to learn. And perhaps, maybe during these times of uncertainty and question and problem in our world, it's something that God is trying to teach you and teach me this morning. Let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to help us to follow Him. If you're here this morning and you have sin in your life, would you confess your sin to Him this morning? We're going to have a time right now after I pray. The piano's going to play. And I'm going to invite you. You can come up here and pray. You can sit in your seat and pray. The most important thing is I want you to talk to God and get right with Him this morning. If you brought in something this morning, that you know is not right with God, confess it to Him. And let's turn, let's repent, and let's be a people that God uses. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in our church and in our hearts and lives. Father, I pray for each person here this morning. Lord, it is easy for, for me, even as I know many of our church family, and I pray for them, and you know that, Lord. It's easy for me to think of their struggles, and it's harder to admit my own. Lord, I confess to you this morning that I need you, that I'm weak and you are strong. Lord, that I fail more often than I want to admit. Lord, thank you for your love and your forgiveness and your strength. Pray that each person that's here this morning, Lord, would hear from you and would truly see you and know your presence in their life. May we turn and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray.